What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, everyone. Thank you for watching this. In August 1881, while taking a walk nearby a woods, Nietzsche was suddenly struck with an idea, so struck that he spent the next 10 days feverishly writing. The result is Thus Spoke Zarathustra, Nietzsche's philosophical novel. In fact, his only novel, which is also his most popular book. Many novelists and artists have this experience when you are flooded with ideas. If you are writing a novel, words just flow. If you are a painter, your brush just glide. If you are religious, you might call it divine revelation. But if you are secular, you might call it artistic flow. Nietzsche's experience was somewhat similar to a shamanistic experience when ideas, words, images flood in and you have no control over it. A kind of epiphany. It's also important to note that Nietzsche wrote Thus Spoke Zarathustra in response to the death of God, in which he offers his solution to nihilism, that everything is meaningless. Humans have lost purpose. Life has no inherent meaning anymore. In this video, I'll try to set the record straight by arguing that Nietzsche's Das Spoke Zarathustra explains how art can liberate us from nihilism after the death of God. In other words, Nietzsche tries to replace God with human artists, whom he called Ubermensch. I will also explain the three main concepts in the novel, eternal recurrence, will to power, and Ubermensch, which is translated as overman, overhuman, or even superman. I'll also discuss why Nietzsche's answer to nihilism is art, and how artists like Marcel Proust, Franz Kafka, and Charles Bukowski fit into Nietzsche's notion of Ubermensch, artists who transcended themselves. At the end, I'll respond to Jordan Peterson's criticisms of Nietzsche. God is dead. For thousands of years, God or gods provided as humans psychological protection, spiritual and emotional comfort, and a set of robust moral values and a clear path for life and afterlife. When there was a divine power above, humans didn't have to worry about meaning or purpose. Everything was set and we all had to do was follow these instructions and everything was fine. But during Renaissance, starting in 15th century Europe, with the help of discoveries made by science and technology, people explored the world and the cosmos to realize that it was too simplistic to believe in God. The old stories of Earth being at the center of the universe didn't hold anymore. The European Enlightenment of the 18th century that followed brought forward a set of robust and reasonable philosophical arguments against the existence of God in favor of humans who could replace God if they were rational enough. Humanism or a human-centered philosophy was born. Then in the 19th century, Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection further damaged the idea of God and posited that humans were no longer special, but just another species of animal. Nietzsche was bold enough to announce that God was truly dead, and we killed him. Quote, Thus spoke the devil to me once upon a time. Even God has his hell. It is his love for man. And lately I hear him say these words. God is dead. Of his pity for man has God died. Now the father being dead, there is a power vacuum where the sons and daughters have to work out a new set of values to guide them in life. Without a chaperone, humans would either destroy themselves or get lost in the wilderness. Without God telling us what's right and wrong, we humans have to re-evaluate values such as happiness, reason, virtue, righteousness, and pity. 
Nietzsche is aware that European philosophers have replaced God with rationality and put rational humans on the pedestals. Just a side note, the solitude that came after the death of God is beautifully depicted in 100 Years of Solitude, a novel by the Colombian author Gabriel Garcia Marquez, in which a group of people move into a new town and start everything over, but after a few generations destroy themselves. However, Nietzsche says there is a problem with rationality. Two things can happen. It either leads to authoritarianism in which the leaders can employ reason to create their own values and rules and subject everyone else to those rules in a, in a kind of self-referential way as if they have replaced God. This idea of a self-referential being is brilliantly depicted in Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment in which the protagonist thinks he is beyond all laws and morality. What does he do? He murders an old but rich woman to use her money to build himself so that he can change the world. Of course, Tarsovsky was also against nihilism, so Raskolnikov ends up in Siberia to repent for his crime and seek salvation inside the Bible. Nietzsche, however, doesn't seek answer in religion. That story is dead. You cannot revive a dead body, instead you have to find a new answer. So neither religion nor rationality is the answer to nihilism. Rationality, according to Nietzsche, also leads us to utilitarianism, meaning promoting action, rules, policies, and values that benefit the greatest number of people. A good example is the concept of democracy, in which the majority rules, at least on paper. Nietzsche has a very low opinion of the majority or crowd, because for him, the crowd is dull and lacks excellence, refinement, and greatness. Instead of promoting the best, rational utilitarianism promotes the most. Instead of nourishing the brightest, it holds back until the stupidest can catch them. Quantity over quality. Plato also had a similar problem with the Athenian democracy, akin to mob rule that killed one of the greatest minds of the ancient Greece, Socrates. So Nietzsche and Plato both saw the majority rule as something negative for a culture to flourish. Rationality also produces conformity, everyone thinking, behaving, and feeling the same way. If you're weird, strange, outsider, or think outside the box, or you stick out as most artists do in some way, you are hammered. Artists are weird, often terrible people in person. There are many more examples. So rationality replaces a single god with a single rational truth, be it a scientific truth or a political truth, but the idea is that nobody can challenge it. A kind of perfectionist rational utopia, very similar to totalitarianism like fascism in Germany or Stalinism in Russia. Both were the products of rationality and the belief to level the world in order to create their own rational utopias based on a perfectionist vision of a single race in the case of Nazi Germany or a single ideology in the case of Soviet socialism. In essence, rationality is nothing but a tool to achieve whatever your goal is. It could be something great, and it could also be something terrible. Nietzsche's criticism is that rationality is a crude tool when it comes to human excellence or greatness. So to sum up, God is dead and the European Enlightenment offered reason as a replacement for God, and Nietzsche objected to that. Rationality is a tool, it is not an end in of itself. It needs something else to give us human a purpose. Just like Dostoevsky did a few decades before Nietzsche. So what is Nietzsche's solution to the problem of nihilism in the absence of God, if rationality is an inadequate answer? Dostoevsky returned to religion, a sort of modified Christianity with, with some Eastern flavor and peasant wisdom as an answer to nihilism. Nietzsche thinks that boat has sailed. 
Religion is an old story, so humans understand the world through the prism of science. Once seen, it cannot be unseen. If you are exposed to science, it's hard to convince yourself to return to religion. So what do you do? He instead offers art as a solution to the death of God and nihilism. Okay, for the rest of this video, I'll explain how Nietzsche thinks art can replace God as well as counterbalance rationality to keep humanity from going mad and how art can give humans a genuine purpose in life. Zarathustra Thus spoke Zarathustra is a fictional story of a man called Zarathustra, based on an ancient Persian prophet who is credited to be the founder of the first monotheistic religion called Zoroastrianism, which divided the world into good and evil. Later on, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all adopted monotheism from Zoroastrianism in the Middle East. For Nietzsche, the single god idea coupled with binary notions of good and evil were in essence created to enslave humanity through uniform thinking. You are either good or evil, you are either with us or against us. Nietzsche also sees a parallel between monotheistic religions and Western philosophical tradition all the way back to Socrates, who put emphasis on reason alone. Rationality is good and passion is evil. Pre-Socratic Greeks had great literary tragedies in which reason always went hand in hand with passion. Apollo, the god of reason, was counterbalanced by Dionysus, the god of wine and passion. But Socrates and later Aristotle in particular introduced truth or a single truth, which later fit perfectly in line with the Christian's notion of single God to steer Western philosophy in the wrong direction, according to Nietzsche. Instead of promoting free thinking, it stifled artistic creativity by suppressing human nature and passion as ugly and animalistic. Only rationality and faith in God were the correct way of understanding the world. So in this novel, which is an act of literary revenge, Nietzsche takes Zarathustra, the man who founded monotheism, single God and single truth and good and evil, and transforms him into his own antithesis or his own enemy. Instead of believing in a single God and good old moral values of good and evil, Zarathustra in this novel believes that God is dead and he's being replaced by a new kind of humans, which he calls Ubermensch, or Overman, who is capable of creating his own values. But Ubermensch, unlike being a self-referential rationalist, is an artist, or very close to an artist. Zarathustra too goes through a kind of spiritual transformation. It's important to note that Zarathustra is 40 years old. We see countless of novels and stories of men turning 40 and suddenly they have an existential or midlife crisis. Dostoevsky wrote notes from underground at the age of 42 or 43. Nietzsche wrote this when he was about 37. It's a precarious time in a man's life when existential angst come to a very sharp focus and people reflect on life. So Zarathustra spends 10 years in a mountain cave to gain wisdom. Solitude was quite important for Nietzsche. Also for many novelists and artists, solitude is immensely valuable in their creation. Charles Bukowski, who was massively influenced by Nietzsche, loved his solitude. The same story with Kafka and Proust, both spent hours and hours sitting alone to make their artistic creation. Nietzsche didn't believe in crowd wisdom in the city. Instead, he sends his protagonist, Mr. Zarathustra, to the mountains to be alone inside a cave. As I said earlier, this idea came to Nietzsche in the woods, not on a city street. So it all makes sense. 
Once Zarathustra is overflowing with wisdom, he descends to the city. He tells people that God is dead. He also tells them about Ubermensch, but as expected, everyone laughs at him, thinking he is some mad dude talking bollocks. It's important because Nietzsche says, great men are always laughed at by the stupid crowd. Disappointed, Zarathustra retreats to his cave, back to nature. For Nietzsche, nature is the source of wisdom, not cities or crowd. Elitist? You bet. Nietzsche didn't hide his elitism. In Western Christian tradition, humans have descended from the Garden of Eden to Earth. Therefore, nature is often considered as ugly, chaotic, and even dirty. Christians see themselves as temporary guests on this terrible planet, like exiled on an island and waiting to return to heaven. Nietzsche, however, more in line with Eastern philosophy, thinks not only we are from nature, but we are nature ourselves. Therefore, should derive meaning not from the heavens, but from nature. Life is full of suffering, but also joy. Nietzsche also criticized Eastern religions. For example, he rejected Buddhism for trying to tame human desire. According to Buddhism, our desires are the root causes of our suffering. In order to be content, one must temper their desire. Nietzsche says our desires allow us to take risks, grow, and overcome obstacles. Without desires, we would not do much. Nietzsche also criticized Taoism and its idea of non-resistance. According to Taoism, you should go with the flow of nature. Instead of going against the current, you should flow with the current. Don't move obstacles, but avoid it, like water goes around the rock. Nietzsche says to overcome and grow, hurdles are necessary. Nothing grows without resisting. For Nietzsche, one must grow and increase power, which may come at a cost of pain and discomfort. Once Zarathustra returns to the cave, Nietzsche introduces two important doctrines based on the law of nature in order to teach Zarathustra. The first doctrine is also the most misunderstood. It's will to power. Nietzsche's will to power was used by the Nazis to promote violence and repression of the weaker races, as they called. The second idea is eternal recurrence. So in the next part of this video, I'll explain each in more details. Will to power Nietzsche was influenced by the German philosopher of pessimism, Arthur Schopenhauer, who argued that every living being has a will to live, but life itself is nothing but suffering. Nietzsche was also aware of Darwin's theory of revolution by natural selection, which also stated that there is an innate will to survive in every living being. Nietzsche, however, thought that a will to live or a will to survive is too weak, too passive, and too cowardly. To make matters worse, Nietzsche didn't like the pessimism of Schopenhauer that life is nothing but suffering. Sure, life has its suffering, but also triumphs, achievements, excellence, and artistic beauty. It's important to know that Arthur Schopenhauer was perhaps the most influential philosopher on 19th century literature. Novelists like Tolstoy, Turgenev, Flaubert were hugely influenced by Schopenhauer. Nietzsche was the most influential philosopher on the 20th century literature. Novelists like Franz Kafka, Thomas Mann, Robert Musil, Joyce, Marcel Proust, and Bukowski all were highly influenced by Nietzsche's philosophy. Nietzsche argued that the most important law of nature is not the will to live or survive, but to grow and expand. So will to power in essence is to make the most of one's life, not to cry about suffering and pain, but to thrive despite the pain and suffering in order to achieve greatness in any field, be it in art, writing or science. 
all living beings instinctively want to dominate others. This is by no means a positive or negative thing, but how nature functions as it's amoral. I think power for Nietzsche was not equal to physical force. A piece of music or a novel or watching some skillful person performing something in it in of itself is powerful as it moves you when you listen to, read or watch it. It doesn't have the repressive consequences of let's say political power, but it's psychologically and emotionally powerful nonetheless. For Nietzsche, will to power can be channeled in creative way that promotes human greatness. For example, an artist producing great works of art is channeling his lust for power in the shape of a great painting, a piece of music, or a literary work like a novel. Nietzsche calls such people Ubermensch, who is not a selfish man seeking power to suppress others, instead to elevate others. Quote, the creator seeks companions, not corpses, and not herds or believers either. The creator seeks fellow creators. In other words, the will to power is not to destroy others, but to bring them up and inspire them. That's what a great piece of art does, be it a painting or a novel. That's why Nietzsche centers his vision on art, not politics, because politicians want to control others, like an authoritarian parent, while artists try to inspire others to grow beyond themselves like a nourishing parent. Eternal Recurrence the second doctrine Nietzsche teaches Zarathustra is eternal recurrence. This is much harder for Zarathustra to accept. To understand eternal recurrence, we need to think of time and matter in the universe. We understand that time is infinite. In the universe, time never ends. Matter, however, is finite. So what happens when you have a finite amount of one thing and infinite amount of another? The finite thing has to repeat itself over and over to make up for being limited. Since time is infinite, but matter in the universe is finite, everything is repeated forever like a hamster wheel. That's Nietzsche's eternal recurrence, which is very similar to Eastern cyclical notion of the world. This means the sublime, the good, the bad and the terrible are repeated endlessly in the universe. Of course, the cycles are rare and happens after millions and billions of years, so to speak. This thought is incredibly depressing for Zarathustra. How could it be that the terrible things are repeated again and again? If you believe in a linear notion of time, you think everything is getting better and you are moving towards perfection. But according to Nietzsche's eternal recurrence, that is not so. In the grand scheme of things, everything is repeated. Zarathustra finally comes to terms and accepts it. Quote, and once you are awake, you shall remain awake eternally. So the two laws of nature are will to power, meaning every being wants to grow and dominate their fields, be it an artist or scientist or even a bricklayer. Nietzsche would define human not as human being, but human becoming. Being is too passive. The second law is eternal recurrence, that everything is repeated perpetually. Now let me explain the journey of Ubermensch, or the hero's journey, so to speak. Ubermensch. Nietzsche says humans are a rope between apes and Ubermensch. Quote, man is something that shall be overcome. Man is a rope tied between beast and overman, a rope over an abyss. What is great in man is that he is a bridge and not an end. So Nietzsche believes in the dynamic of change and growth. 
being a human is a precariously dangerous place to be, so there's every incentive to overcome this situation. For Nietzsche, great things don't come out of serenity or peace, which religions tend to promote, but out of chaos and conflict, which is nature. Quote, I tell you, one must still have chaos in one to give birth to a dancing star. I tell you, you still have chaos in you. To become Ubermensch, he has to go through three stages. First, Ubermensch is a human with a free spirit. You could say he has some artistic sensibilities for beauty because in the first step, he is charmed by a beautiful dragon, which starts off the transformation process. Quote, Three metamorphoses of spirit have I designated to you, how the spirit became a camel, the camel a lion, and the lion at last a child. In the camel stage, he has to carry the burden of others and most crucially learn the discipline of being a slave to the societal norms and traditions. It's like becoming an apprentice to learn a craft from a master. Perhaps I should give you a little cultural context. Apprenticeship is hugely important in Germany. Without some experience as an apprentice, it's very hard to find a job in the country. So even today, the value of learning on the job from someone with superior skills is an essential step in someone's career in any field. So being an apprentice is like being a camel. You listen to your superior. You leave your ego and listen. It's like a wolf turning into a tame, obedient dog. But as time passes and he learns more, he wants to be free and have the freedom to say no to others. He then turns into a lion, which allows him to say no to the social norms and traditions. On the one hand, he is liberated from his social burdens, but on the other hand, there is a danger that he might turn nihilistic in rejecting everything, or hedonistic in only seeking his own pleasures and indulgences. To quote Spider-Man's uncle, with great power of the lion comes a great responsibility. There's another character in the novel called The Last Man, who's stuck in a vicious circle of seeking more and more pleasures and self-indulgence. He doesn't exercise self-control. This is similar to today's consumerist madness. You work to buy and work more to buy more, which is a vicious cycle that never ends. So The Last Man only wants pleasure for himself, but not give joy to others. To overcome the lion stage, Ubermensch goes through another metamorphosis and becomes a child, symbolizing creativity and innocence. At this stage, he has the freedom to be creative. Could. In a real man, there's a child hidden. He wants to play. This childish creativity allows him to be artistic and create new values for him. I read somewhere that the Austrian psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud thought fiction writers in writing novels and stories in fact are mimicking how children play. So the process of creating a piece of fiction or art is quite similar to how children play. So once he has achieved the level of creativity and created new values for himself, he becomes Ubermensch, often translated in English as Overman, Overhuman or even Superman who is capable of creating his own values, but most crucially, he is also capable of sacrificing himself for others. I think the Nazis ignored the sacrifice part, instead focused on growth only. Why is self-sacrifice important for Nietzsche? The answer is in nature. Nietzsche, not Nietzsche, but nature. Mother Nature Nietzsche uses many elements of nature, such as the sun, the seas, throughout the novel to symbolize the ideal metaphor for how to become Ubermensch. He is not created by God or some other divine power, but he is from nature, and he is nature in itself. 
For example, he uses the sun here. Could you must be ready to burn yourself in your own flame? How could you rise anew if you have not first become ashes? The idea of overcoming is in fact a way of destroying the old self in order to rise again and anew. Nietzsche also clarifies Ubermensch as an unselfish man, just like the sun who gives away light. Could I love those who do not know how to live except by going under, for they are those who cross over. Again, the sun sets by going under by lowering itself. Nietzsche thinks man is so contaminated with old ideas, values, and behaviors, often religious, that it needs a complete transformation. He says, "In truth, man is a polluted river. One must be a sea to receive a polluted river without becoming defiled." I bring you the Ubermensch. He is that sea. In him, your great contempt can be submerged. When Zarathustra talks about Ubermensch, everyone laughs at him. This is expected because the sun looks small to us down on Earth. In other words, great men are often misunderstood by the crowd because they cannot understand them as they are too far apart. Quote: The higher we soar, the smaller we appear to those who cannot fly. So great artists are sometimes not appreciated by most people around them, just as we see the sun as a small circle in the sky. The fact that it's over a million times bigger than Earth is hard to imagine. So the sun is a perfect metaphor for Nietzsche to describe his idea of Ubermensch or ideal artist and philosopher. Most religions, particularly Western religions, tend to see the human body, natural instinct, and desires as animalistic, therefore bad or even evil. Ubermensch, however, reverses all that. By overcoming his human or religious qualities, he no longer shuns life, but celebrates life, celebrates the body, flesh and blood, and no longer avoids danger, but confronts it. Quote, There's more wisdom in your body than in your deepest philosophy. Ubermensch rejects the soul, pity, meekness, and the divine because those values do not exist in nature. Ubermensch artist. So to sum up, Nietzsche's Ubermensch is in fact an artist who spends years perfecting his craft in the camel stage, where he learns from past masters, sociocultural norms and values. But he's also bound by all those traditions. Then he breaks out of those boundaries and traditions and becomes a kind of wild lion who roars. Quote. But in the loneliest desert happens the second metamorphosis. Here, the spirit becomes a lion. He will seize his freedom and be master in his own wilderness. In religion, you are punished if you defy religious doctrine. In rational world, you are punished if you transgress its values. But Nietzsche seeks the total freedom to be creative. Then his final phase is to be a child again, so that he can be creative. Now he has learned his craft in the camel stage. He has learned to say no to traditions in the lion stage. Now he has to learn to be truly creative by creating new values. Once he has done those things, he is truly an artist. Nietzsche says that all religions valued soul, the divine, afterlife, but condemned power, sex, selfishness, and looked down on life, especially the human body and earth, as ugly and base. Nietzsche argues that religious people are too weak to embrace the raw nature, so they invented soft, cushiony ideas to shield themselves. Quote, it was the sick and the decaying who despised the body and earth, and invented the heavenly realm and the redemptive 
drops of blood, but they took even these sweet and gloomy poisons from body and earth. They wanted to escape their own misery, and the stars were too far for them. Nietzsche speculates that founders of religious beliefs are those who are physically or psychologically weaker individuals in their social circles, therefore invented stories about gods or relied on something divine to empower themselves in this life or in the afterlife, sort of manifesting extra prestige for themselves, which promoted being weak as something good, and supporting the weak was the greatest virtue. Nietzsche says that's why most religions tend to condemn physical side of human existence, such as sex, brute force, and physical competition. Because those religious founders lack those natural qualities themselves. As a somewhat physically weak person myself, mainly my height and strength, I'm drawn to stories and fiction instead of competing in the real world or accepting the harsh reality of life. So I think Nietzsche has a point here. Nietzsche's philosophy puts life, human body, and earth above all else. Humanism or democracy, according to Nietzsche, also promotes equality and a weak mentality in which people are coddled and insulated from risks and danger. So Ubermensch is someone who lives dangerously, dances, creates his own values and loves body and life. This is beautifully depicted in Zorba the Greek by Nikos Kazantzakis. Zorba is like a beautiful soul who plays his instrument and dances his way through life. The perfect definition of a true artist. Not only an artist who creates art or writes novel, but he's also an artist of life itself. He's a spontaneous, a combination of the Apollon rationality and a Dionysian passion. Nietzsche himself had an example of Ubermensch in mind. His close friend and a brilliant composer, Richard Wagner, though later he criticized him for his anti-artistic sentiments. Mistaken religious beliefs and his rough music later on. I agree with Nietzsche, sometimes it's hard to listen to Wagner's music. Germans are blessed with so many amazing musicians and composers, and music sits very well with science, especially mathematics. I'm no expert in music as an art form, so here I'll talk about literature, fiction in particular, which is an art form. I'll discuss one of the greatest archetypal Nietzschean Ubermensch artists, the French novelist Marcel Proust. I've spoken about him in two of my previous videos, so I'll not talk too much here. But I'll say this, Proust believed exactly as Nietzsche outlined in his novel. Proust spent decades trying to be an artist. To bring it a full circle, Proust's novel In Search of Lost Time, which I think is the greatest novel in the whole world, is about childhood, creativity, and artistic legacy. Proust spent his entire life in pursuit of artistic excellence, a sacrifice for humanity. Proust did something so wonderful in his novel, his protagonist managed to discover something magical to defeat the decaying power of time. Involuntary memory is triggered when you hear a sound, taste, touch, or smell something from your past, and that's when your past self and your present self melt into one and time stands still. The way Proust presents this is magical, powerful, and eye-opening. Another two novelists that I think came close to Nietzsche's idea of Ubermensch are Franz Kafka, who was incidentally born in the same year as Thus Spoke Zarathustra was published in 1883. And the other author I can think of is Charles Bukowski. Just like Proust, they dedicated their lives to creating art, often ridiculed and lived tough lives because they went against the current. I've discussed all these three novelists extensively in separate videos. Also important to know that all these three novelists were influenced by the philosophy of Nietzsche. 
In fact, I'm going so far as to say that Nietzsche is perhaps the most influential philosopher among novelists and literature as a whole, especially in the 20th century. Nietzsche's own style of writing is closer to literature than philosophy. I think he was the most artistic philosopher, which on the one hand makes him incredibly creative, but on the other hand makes him quite frustrating because he's open to all kinds of interpretations. A good example is how the Nazis used his writings to promote fascism in Germany. Thus spoke Zarathustra itself as a beautiful piece of German literature. Nietzsche's use of German language is incredible. It's also seen as a novel that resembles a piece of music with its rhythm and tempo mimicking an opera. So Nietzsche not only was a great admirer of music, here he also deployed music in his writing. Another example I think is Gustave Flaubert, who similarly used words as if they were musical notes. There are also many wordplays such as the use of over and under, which is hard to translate into other languages. That's why we have many versions of Ubermensch in English as overman, overhuman and even superman. Jordan Peterson's Criticism Jordan Peterson in a video puts forward a few points of contention with Nietzsche's Ubermensch. He argues that Freud and Jung's psychoanalytical works expose a few holes in Nietzsche's philosophy. First, Jung's multiple personalities mean each individual hosts many personalities which manifest themselves at different times. This also creates internal contradiction as you can hold contradictory views, values and so forth. I think Nietzsche agrees with internal contradictions because he didn't regard order as fundamental. He in fact criticized religions and rationality for focusing too much on order and conformity. For Nietzsche, chaos creates stars, so contradictions are necessary conditions for Ubermensch to transform from. Ubermensch is not the result of happiness or containment, but the result of chaos and contradictions within an artist. If you compare artists and novelists with the general public, you will find more artists who have great many personality flaws, and in some cases you might term it as madness. Peterson's second point is that human values are not created but discovered. I think Nietzsche agrees with that. To explain this, let me give you an example. Many great artists and novelists talk about a kind of revelation when it comes to their creative works. In fact, Nietzsche himself got the idea of this novel, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, somewhat suddenly and almost struck him like some kind of moment of magic. Many fiction writers go into their own den without knowing much what they might write about. We call it discovery writing. So fiction writing in itself is discovering. This is partly conscious and partly subconscious. Art is partly created and partly discovered in the subconscious. In fact, Ubermensch goes through a journey of self-discovery and self-actualization. Quote, You have evolved from worm to man, but much within you is still warm. Once you were apes, yet even now man is more of an ape than any of the apes. Nietzsche says apes came down the trees and turned into humans and now humans turn to the mountains for some solitude to discover what's underneath the conscious mind. So we have inherited most of what makes us human from apes and worms and those qualities are still present in our deep subconscious which once discovered artists turn them in, into a beautiful piece of art or a painting or a novel or whatever else. If we evaluate today's world to some extent we live in a kind of Nietzschean world. We admire great artists, artisans, scientists, craftspeople who excel in their fields so much so that their creation or process of creation itself is powerful and artistic. 
but we value those creations based on good and bad. Certain arts are good, thus promoted. Certain arts are bad, therefore ignored or even banned. Nietzsche had issues with these morality of good and bad. So the moral value of society is like a box that allows certain excellence to flourish and certain arts to be condemned and censored. Like growing a watermelon inside a square box, it takes the shape of the box, therefore morality itself restricts artistic creativity. Nietzsche wanted a natural freedom or instinctive or impulsive freedom, letting nature take its own course without religious punishment or moral outrage. Societal values of good and evil shouldn't limit human possibilities. Today our dominant value is equality. We're born with certain physical specs, such as height, looks, cognitive ability, physical specifications, health and so on, which determine our ability to excel in certain areas. So our belief in equality is not genuine and somewhat superficial. So for Nietzsche, humans should be able to freely probe like tendrils of a climbing plant without the fear of religious punishment or moral punishment. Of course, Nietzsche was aware that individuals were not equal and not everyone is capable of becoming Ubermensch. Only a select few were capable of creating art that transcend themselves. For Nietzsche, there is room for those who return to religion. And of course, he calls them as weaker humans. But there is room for them nonetheless. So not everyone can become great in their fields, be it music, literature, painting. Only a handful are able to create something sublime. So Nietzsche is an elitist in his views, and he wants artists to have the freedom to move beyond good and evil in morality of his age. That way they can truly create genuine, profound and great art that, that stands the test of time. I guess this idea of greatness can apply to any field, be it cooking or YouTube. You can achieve greatness by aiming high. So to conclude this video, in the absence of God, Nietzsche offers art as a solution to the nihilistic tendencies of modernity. The reason for that is that rationality alone cannot give our lives meaning, but rationality combined with human passion that can give our life a deeper meaning and a purpose. Reason and science provide us with physical comfort, but they cannot provide us with the same solid existential or psychological anchor, but art and passion can. Great artists like Proust, Kafka and Bukowski symbolize Nietzsche's Ubermensch who overcame themselves to dedicate their lives through pain and suffering to the service of art that benefited and inspired millions of their readers around the world. In other words, we use their novels as a mirror to see ourselves. And some even find themselves through these artists' work, which also inspire them to follow in their footsteps. Thank you for watching. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.